Good morning. morning. Welcome to Morrison Hill Christian Church. And thanks again to everyone who contributed last week to our big uh, resurrection celebration. There was so much, so much that went into that in the art and the just every part of every part of the whole day and it was wonderful and so great and we had a lot of uh, people visit and I hope that many of them will come back just thank you for all that thank you for everyone who is setting up in all the ministries that are represented out there in our ministry fair today thank you to everyone who is serving all the time here at Morrison Hill one of the biggest blessings that we have is this church has so many people that work so hard all the time to build God's kingdom And I want to thank every one of you here, because even if you're one of those servants, thank you for being here this morning and giving us a chance to serve you. Because the worship team and and me and everybody else who works hard to make Sunday mornings happen, we're not here just to entertain you. We're not here to give you some songs to sing along to and something to listen to for a little bit. We're trying to empower you to build God's kingdom. And we can't do that if you don't even show up. So even you just showing up is is a blessing. When we, when we meet around God's table, we're not just trying to go through some sort of an old ritual that still means something to a few of us. We are helping you commune with Jesus Christ as you celebrate what he did, what he's doing, and his coming, uh, his coming return. And as we worship, we're, we're trying to help you connect with him. All of this. So this morning, I just wanted to say thank you again. Thank you to God. Thank you to everybody who's helping this church become more and more every day exactly what God dreams it will be. I think that's always been what Morrison Hill's been about, but, but that is definitely where we are right now. And I just, again, thank you to everyone who's a part of that. Even if this is your first time here and you're just giving us a chance to serve you, that's part of that. But today is a ministry fair, and we're inviting you to, to kind of throw even more, be, be even more open than you've ever been to. Maybe there's something else God has for you. Maybe you just need to encourage some of these people even more. So, thank you. Today is part two of um, the two-part beginning to the series that we're in right now called Ultimate Authority. Uh, last week, we celebrated Jesus Christ's rise to power as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This was the greatest story there's ever been. It's if you are into literature and study how stories are written and you've ever gone to film school or or writing school of any kind and they taught you this is what makes a great story. It's the perfect story. Every part of it is exactly written well. It's so done well. Except here's the thing. It's true. And not only that, John Eldridge was the first person that I remember seeing say this. And since then, I've quoted him and I've seen a lot of people else. But but this makes so much sense to me. Perhaps the reason we love the kind of stories that we love, perhaps the reason that so many of the stories that have become massive throughout the years is because they all point to this one story. So this morning, I'm going to walk you through really quick one more time, just in case you missed last time, and also to get it fresh in our minds again this morning. And for all you story nerds out here, here's one more little thing about what makes a great story a great story that we didn't talk about last time. For everybody else, just pay attention to the details, because this is Jesus Christ, and this is the greatest story there ever was. Are you ready? Here we go. Most great stories that you read today, they're constructed in uh, acts. There are three acts, act one, act two, and act three. 
Act one, several things have to happen. A lot of it is exposition. You're kind of learning who the characters are, what the setting is. You're learning why you should care about the hero and his or her cause. You're meeting the hopeful fellowship. Uh, you're, you're kind of getting used to the world and how that world there works, how it used to be perfect, but then something got broken, what they need to fix that, why you think maybe the hero can do that. You also learn there's like this, this daily kind of grind. You kind of get a feel for this is the kind of way the story goes most of the time. Does this sound familiar? It's pretty much every story you've ever read that you really enjoy. This is, or watched on a movie or anything. This is how it goes. For us as Christians, the prototype story, the original one works like this. The entire Old Testament and most of the story of Jesus is Act 1. We learn how the world was perfect and then got broken. We learn why we need a savior, why we need a hero. We, we see all the stuff that's prophesied about him, all the little stories that build up and build up and build up toward that climax. Each one of those is amazing, but it's all pointing to him. And then you learn the, the kind of one, the upon a time, if you will, kind of daily grind for a little while of, that Jesus was born into. And then there's that amazing once upon a time that we celebrate every December, which we call Christmas, that God himself invaded his own creation and became part of it and started the process of ultimate salvation. And Jesus himself became part of his creation and started to become at that moment, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords in every possible way. By the end of act one in any great story, things are looking pretty good for the hero. You're cheering them on. You're, you're believing in their cause. You think it's going to work. And usually something big happens. For us, that was Palm Sunday. We celebrated that two weeks ago. At that moment in time, it looked like Jesus was going to ride into town on a donkey and everybody was just going to keep cheering and here we go. This is it. That's what it looked like at the moment. But in every great story, act one usually fails pretty badly. It's not what you think. It looks like things are going to go well. By the way, any Marvel fans out there? Not going to spoil anything, but I'm telling you, they know how to write. Just saying. But then Act 2, everything falls apart. All the stuff that looked like it was going to be really, really good, it turns out to be bad. And every choice the hero makes seems to make things worse, just as much as every choice that the villain makes. It just gets worse and worse. For us, Act 2 is Holy Week, which we celebrated last week, and we walked through that whole story. But after all the parade, the shouting, the temple cleansing, all the powerful teaching, the foot washing, the Passover celebrating, the passionate praying, the complete surrendering, and the terrible suffering, Act 2 ends with our hero is dead, and the hopeful fellowship is completely disbanded. Thank God that's not where the story ends. But any great story has that moment where you think, oh my goodness, this is it. What happened? And that's, that's because it points to this story. But then Act 3 begins. And here's the amazing part that th this is what we're going to focus on today. Because Act 3 is not just Jesus comes back to life and goes up to heaven. That was the beginning of Act 3. Act 3 is where everything comes together and the whole point of the story actually happens. The whole thing that was the, the, the hero was fighting for, they not only win a decisive victory, they get to live that way. Frodo and Aragorn and all them, they don't just finally defeat Sauron. They get to live in a brand new, free Middle Earth. Are you following me on this? 
This is, this is what happens. And we live in Act 3. Act 3 for us is the kingdom of heaven. Act 3 for us is where Jesus reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we build his kingdom until he returns in an even greater, more ultimate, more powerful way to wrap it up completely. This is where we live. It doesn't always feel like that because the villain's still out there. The story's still going. The, there's still all these other little plots that are happening. And every one of your little plots is so important to Jesus and very important to us. And all of that still matters. But overall, we live in Act 3. We live in this spot where our king has risen. So what does he want? What does his kingdom look like? Well, like all great stories, Jesus was hinting about what his end game was all the way along. That was for you Marvel fans too. <clears throat> John the Baptist was the first one to show up. Isaiah had predicted him way back in the Old Testament. He said, not only would the Messiah come, but you'll know he's coming because someone will come to prepare his way. And John's signature message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. When Jesus was baptized by John and sent out to be tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself, the devil offered him a counterfeit version of this. If you remember, he, all of those temptations had to do with using his authority, his power, everything he had to serve himself instead of the greater cause. And then he tempted Jesus and he said, if you'll bow down to me, I'll make you the king of kings and lord of lords. But it was a counterfeit version of what Jesus knew he was really there to do. But even the devil, he had no idea exactly how this would work or he wouldn't have played along. God used the devil's best plans as the stuff that actually made the good plot happen. Are you following me on this? The devil had no idea how God would change and use all of that stuff around. But he already knew that Jesus' end game was, I'm going to be the king. So he was trying to mess it up from day one. Jesus spoke about this nonstop. We spent quite a bit of time recently going through some of the Beatitudes. Some people are still doing that on Sunday nights, and you should join them. But um, uh, Jesus spoke about things like the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor and to the poor in spirit. He said this. In fact, would you read this one with me? Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. Here's another thing he said. I'd like you to read this one with me as well. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So once again, this is what he had in mind all along. He was going to set himself up as the king and then we were going to live as a kingdom. This kingdom would not just be something we talk about, something we believe in, something we intellectually accept and try to understand. This is going to be how we live. This is going to be the foundation of everything else we believe. The kingdom of God is going to be the thing that makes everything else make sense to us. It's going to be the point of everything. And this is exactly what it became for Jesus' followers. All throughout the book of Acts, 
you see them using these same ideas, the idea of Jesus' authority, Jesus' ultimate authority over the kingdom, and their mission in life was to build this kingdom. This is what they were about. Here's one example. I'd like you to read this one aloud with me as well, if you would. This is just part of one of all the stories in Acts that outline what's happening. Now, the people believed Philip's good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. I just want to take a quick moment just to, just to kind of clarify one thing. I know a lot of us come from a whole bunch of different religious backgrounds, anything from atheism to other religions to a whole bunch of different flavors of Christianity. And I know sometimes people get confused when they first come here and they see what a big deal we make of uh, every week communion and baptism, for example. This is, this, this is not a sermon about that, but I just want to let you see the perspective because it's really relevant to what we're talking about today. This is, this is where our perspective comes from. Wherever we're right about it, wherever we're wrong about it, this is what it comes down to, all right? Every time you see in the scripture someone becomes a Christian, they get baptized. That's part of the process. And Jesus himself commanded it. And for us, this is just as it. This is what we try to seek unity with any church anywhere and any believer anywhere on these issues is if Jesus says do it, we say, okay, let's do it. Or we say, how do we go about doing that? We don't go, I wonder what would happen if we didn't. I wonder if that's conditional. I wonder, I wonder at what point I actually am saved if, if Jesus says, don't lie, but I lie. Am I still saved? We don't question that. At least we try not to. This is our heart. I'm sharing our heart. This is what we're trying to do. And so all of our, any, any of our perspectives on any of these things is not a judgment on anyone else or anything like that. It's just this simple attitude of, hey, if we see this in the scripture, let's do our best to try and do it that way, period. And so any, any confusion, if we're wrong about something, I apologize, but I'm telling you, that's where we come from. And that's, that, that's the heart of what we believe about all of those issues. Let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Different translations say it, God's kingdom is not in word but in power. God's kingdom is not a matter of talk but of power. Here's the amazing truth about living in Act 3. This is where we kind of turn a corner. So what do we do about this? This is where this turns. Listen. The unmistakable message of Jesus himself and the apostles and the way all this was laid out for us is this. The ultimate authority of Jesus empowers us. We live under the authority, with the blessing, under the commands under the authority, our whole life is defined by the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ. And he empowers us. He not only commands us to do things, he empowers us to get that stuff done. He's the source of why we do it. He's the one who made it possible for us to even be on the team. And he is the one who gives us the power to actually make it happen. Everything depends on Jesus. But get this, we are the actors in in, the, in Act 3. We are the hopeful fellowship. In Act 3, this is us. We have joined the same team that we were reading about and loving so much and cheering on in Act 1 and Act 2. 
Let me read you just a little bit more, more uh, scripture. Just to, and, uh, Let this stuff kind of percolate in your head. All this stuff that we've been talking about this morning. Um, whether that's the first time you heard it that way or the umpteenth time. Uh, just, just kind of remember it that way. Understand this kingdom, the name of Jesus. Let me read you just one more passage. This is from Colossians chapter 1. This is Paul writing. Just listen how, how deep all this stuff is embedded in all the teaching that we look at all the time. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world and it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding and the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Can you hear that? That's you. You're in this story. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. So that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father, for He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and He has transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Paul also writes in Philippians chapter 2. Last week we walked through the story of Jesus as he summarized it in that same passage. As it's one, it's my, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. But Paul summarizes that Jesus, who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, took on the form of a human, took on the form of a servant, became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does this sound familiar? We were, we were just there. But guess what? It's kind of, kind of ironic here. But Act 2, we're in Part 2 today. We're talking about Act 3. But listen, Paul is talking in the verses right before that. And the application that he gives us, the point he's making when he tells that story that way, is what we're looking at today. The first several verses, he says, if you have experienced this, he lists off several things. If you've experienced the comfort from God's love, if you've experienced any tenderness or compassion, if you've experienced the Holy Spirit in your life, he's saying, if you know what I'm talking about, if you're getting my emails, you know what I'm saying? He's saying, hey, if you get what I'm talking about, listen, here's what we do. Let's read this part together. Be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions and consider that the example that Jesus the Anointed One has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Other translations translate this in other ways that I also love, like your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in his very nature God. 
But I love this one right here because it goes right along with this story idea. Any great story, you know, if it's written well, you know what every character's motivation is. Their motivation is what drives every choice that they make. And for Jesus, every choice he made was building this kingdom, was saving us so that we could live this act three life and then go to heaven eventually. This was the driving motivation for him. And he was willing to serve us. He was willing to sacrifice everything to make that happen. It mattered that much to him. That was his mindset. That was his motivation. And Paul tells us here, let his mindset become your motivation. Let Jesus' desire to serve, to give up anything, to pay any cost for the sake of the kingdom, to, for the sake of bringing others into the kingdom in this life and beyond. Do whatever it takes to bring this into reality. Let this mindset become your motivation. May your attitude be the same as Jesus. So after Jesus came back to life, Luke tells us that he spent the last 40 days after that telling people about the kingdom of God and proving that he really truly was alive. And then this is the last thing that happened. You've heard this a lot lately because it's so important, but this is, this is his parting words before he literally ascended into the heavens. This is what he said, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came close to them and said, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make the disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. So if you haven't picked up on it yet, this is, this is us. This is what Act 3 looks like. Are you ready? We serve the ultimate authority in the universe. We are empowered by the ultimate authority in the universe. And his authority, he not only uses that authority to command us what to do, he uses that authority to empower us. And here is what he said to do. Love as I have loved you. Serve as I have served you. Spread this worldwide. Make disciples of every nation. Baptize all of them into my kingdom. Teach them to obey all the things that I have commanded. This is going worldwide. And this is you. That takes us doing stuff. That takes us being the players in the play. Um, a while back, I was loaned a book uh, by... Denny Young, I really like this book. It's an old book. I don't even think it's in print, but I'm really liking it. You're going to hear several things from it in the near future. But there's a, there's a quote by the guy that wrote it, Ray Fullenweider. I'd like you to say this out loud as well. He calls this the servant's dream. And us, as we live in the motivation that Jesus was motivated by, we live in that mindset that he had, this becomes our dream too. Let's say it together. The servant wants to do God's work in God's way for God's glory. Let's read that one more time. The servant wants to do God's work in God's way for God's glory. And this has been true all along, just like everything else. Jesus was dropping clues and straight out just saying what he was about from the beginning. John the Baptist, 
Remember, when he first showed up, he preached that Jesus was coming. He baptized Jesus. He did the whole thing. He pointed to him. And as soon as Jesus' ministry started, John started saying things like this. He must increase. I must decrease. He was there just to serve. And Jesus himself, we've just walked through how he did that in every single area, especially in the garden, if you'll remember, as he was really wrestling with it. The human part of him was just broken in this moment. But Jesus at this point said, your will, not mine, be done. Jesus is the ultimate servant on his way to be the ultimate authority, said, your will, not mine, be done. He wanted to do God's work in God's way for God's glory. I've only highlighted one verse from Ephesians 4 this morning, if you're following along in the bulletin insert. Again, those are mostly like a Bible study for you. The life groups use those, and um, you're all invited to let that stuff percolate and just like let God take you way deeper than you ever could in 30 minutes with me. But I recommend to everyone, if you could just maybe circle the four, where it says Ephesians 4, 12, that whole chapter encapsulates all of this stuff. It's, it's just an amazing chapter that, that says so much in one really small amount of space. Here's a couple of highlights, and then we will focus on Ephesians 4.12 as we start to wrap up this morning. Ephesians 4, Paul tells us to live a life that is worthy of the calling that we've received. To unite on, the, on our one Lord. To unite around, find our unity, not separation. Not our identity in the way we understand it differently or better than anyone else, but find unity in seeking our one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Find the things that are one and focus on those and find our unity in that as we all live in obedience. He talks about Jesus descending into the lower earthly realms and then ascending. And I love this. He says, and as he ascended, he gave gifts to humanity. He left us to act out the rest of Act 3. And as he goes on, he starts listing a bunch of those gifts. And this is, this is a verse I've actually shared with you a couple times recently because as a leader, this is something I'm, I really feel God is just slapping me in the face with almost daily lately. He just keeps showing this is what you're supposed to be doing. Because he lists all the gifts of leadership and then he says there, and he's talking about the leaders, he said their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Anybody who's ever known me at all or followed me around, you know that I work a lot. You know I'm a hard worker. But one of the things God has just really shown me more than ever before is my success or failure on a, as a leader is going to be on my ability to empower you to do God's work. That's what it's about. This is not about, it's not a spectator sport. The kingdom Jesus set up is not just about us getting together and watching somebody else do something. It's about all of us doing the part that all of us were played to pray. Every single one of us has a gift. Every single one of us has part to play in this story. And we've got to capture that. That's why we're having this ministry fair today. That's why we're focusing on this today. That's why we do everything we do. Ray Follenbiter has an amazing diagram to show um, what, it what uh, leadership looks like. Most leadership diagrams, they look more like a tournament, um, tournament bracket kind of system. And you got one person at the very, very top, and then a few more people, then a few more people, and then everybody else. You know what I'm talking about? I love this because this is much more biblical. 
He's got the elders and the ministers are leading the way. And the congregation, as a congregation means like people that are just joining, just getting involved. But in the middle, the biggest part is all the teams of people that are doing God's work. And all of us are going somewhere. We're not just kind of being in the spot we're supposed to be. We're doing something. And Jesus, as the ultimate authority, is so much bigger than all of that that he's literally off the chart. You follow me? He's out in front, and our job as leaders is to help us go the direction that he is leading us. But the biggest part of the work is being done by the biggest part of the people. That is the dream. That is the servant's dream. Jesus did this by washing feet. I love how uh, when someone came to him just a few days before his death and washed and anointed his feet, he stuck up for them and took that worship and said, that's great, defended them, said, no, it's proper that you serve me this way. But then a couple days later, he turns that around and he washes his disciples' feet. And he says, you know what? This is how I want you to treat each other. This is how I need you to treat everybody. And it was that same last week when he was doing his most important teaching, what we have most of, that he told the story that, that ends this way. For whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. This is his heart, that we collectively become a servant kingdom. 1 Peter 4 Verses 10 and 11 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as if God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy God supplies. And then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. This morning, after this service, you'll have the opportunity to uh, look at several of the ministries we have. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe that's your decision. Maybe things are pretty good between you and God, but maybe he's, he's capturing your heart just a little bit more and going to motivate you to use those gifts he gave you for the reasons he gave you those gifts. Maybe you need to do something else with him. Maybe you just need prayer. Whatever you need to do, if you need to give your life to him, make any other kind of decision, we invite you to do that as we stand and sing together. Um, let's do that together right now.